Howdy folks and welcome. This is episode 440. Wow, it's weird to say out loud of internal budget. As always, Brandon Mackey here, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com, thanking you for getting us to 40 episodes. It has been an absolute blast. Every week I get to do a new episode with all kinds of new engagement is a treat for me. Uh, It was unexpected from the beginning, starting this podcast in January, so I really am appreciative. Thank you very much. Every episode feels like a milestone. Today, after there was no new episode last week, the wait is going to be worth it because joining us for the second time in internal budget history is the number one source for everything related to the Ottawa Senators' crop of youth. You can find him and his amazing content on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. He is the man they call Sends Prospects, and please enjoy this fantastic chat that we had about everything related to, shockingly, the Sends Prospects. know him as the number one source for all things related to the Ottawa Senators Young Guns. It's Sens Prospects making his return to the show. How are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks, Brandon. How are you? I'm fantastic. Peachy keen and glad to have you on. Uh, And really, I mean, you know, despite the world kind of going to hell in our province, you know, falling through the cracks in terms of COVID-19, it's hard not to be kind of upbeat based on how the Ottawa Senators offseason has gone. Uh, big signings and guys like Evgeny Dadnov, really nice extensions done with the likes of Connor Brown. And of course, trading for Matt Murray. Hopefully they have their starting goaltender uh, of the future. As far as the moves go and the transactions go, uh, what are your thoughts on the offseason so far? I mean, what a roller coaster it's been, right? It feels like every week there's something that the fans are are feeling great about. But then at the same time, you know, it's it's like a game of of stopgap, right? It's like it you're, you're plugging one hole and another one opens up, but, uh, but on the whole, I think, I think the team has made some, some good moves here uh, to, to be more competitive next season than they were last. Yeah. And we're coming out of a draft that I think was probably the biggest in franchise history. Uh, do you have a kind of overall sense of how you feel the senators did? I know there's been a lot of conjecture about the Sens doing really well and the Sens doing really poorly based on how many picks they had. Uh, but did you like where they did what they did with the draft? At the end of the day, I was pretty okay with with how the draft went. I, I was happy with the first two selections, and then there, I think there are a few. You know, once we go beyond say the third round, that's that's really just a, a crapshoot. Um, Ottawa was lucky to have seven picks in the first three rounds. So uh, at the end of the day, there are definitely a few selections that I was a little bummed in the directions that the team went, uh, especially looking at at pick say forty four and twenty eight, but. Um, you know, for me, I think, I think we've got a great, even bigger stable of prospects to, to be excited about. And I think some of the more controversial guys and the ones that you're alluding to were, were picks like Igor Sokolov and, uh, and, and, uh, Levi, is it Manalainen or Marilainen? I, I feel so bad. I can never get it right. 
Yeah, Marilinen. Marilinen. Yeah, got it. Mr. Professional here. Uh, in any case, uh, those were picks that were kind of maybe a little bit off the board. For me personally, I'm a big fan of the Sokolov pick. I think a guy that big and so uh, physically dominant um, is really going to be helpful, at least in the bottom six going forward. Um, he's got translatable skills. He's a guy that can make the pro jump early, I think. Uh, so I was really pleased with that pick. I think that's going to be one of those one of those sleeper choices. Uh, Marilinen was completely out of left field, right? Like I don't, there was, I don't think there was a ton of scouts that even had him getting drafted. And if not, not in the second round, at least, uh, or wherever they ended up taking him, uh, how to, so in terms of those off the wall picks, which ones surprise you the most and which ones do you kind of see working out and which ones do you think, Oh my God, they really misfired here. Totally. A uh, few things there too, right? I mean, generally speaking too, I'm just a little bummed on say picks like, Ridley Grieg or Tyler Clevin, which is, they just feel like such stereotypical sense picks where they had the option to take, take some home run shots with high end skilled guys on the board and they passed, but um, we can get back to those guys in a bit. Talking about a few of the, the two that you just zoned in on there. Uh, Marilyn is super interesting because even the sense said, this is a player that would not have been drafted had the draft actually happened at the scheduled time. Right he really benefited from actually playing some games uh, this season before the draft took place. And it's, it's really interesting to see that he's coming out of this proven goalie factory in Finland, right? This is, this is the same, same program that's produced um, Pekka Rene, uh, Nick Backstrom, the goalie um, and a few other up and coming young Finnish goalies, including uh, Joel Blomquist, who was taken in the second round by the Penguins in the same draft. So uh, while it definitely seemed like a reach and out of left field pick, I think there could be some real um, sneaky value to it. And you're seeing it already with, with how well he started the season, right? I think six or seven and one to start the year with the 920 save percentages is, is pretty fantastic uh, to get things going on Marilyn. And as far as Grig and uh, Clevin go, again, two really interesting picks. I think you nailed it when you said typical senators picks, uh, not necessarily high-end skill guys, but um, it, it, it screams to me that they prefer the safe floor over the, over the potential upside. Like guys like Greg and Clevin, you know they can probably play in the NHL, Greg especially. Uh, he definitely projects to be maybe yep. a second, third-line center on a contending team. Uh, Clevin may be a bottom pairing, at least probably at most um, second pairing guy. Uh, especially with the likes of Sanderson and Shabbat already in the system. So, and I mean, it's such a challenging topic to discuss, right? Because we don't know how these kids are going to turn out. You know, for all we know, Tyler Clevin could be a future Norris trophy, (laughs) but but we have to go on what we have now. And this is the part of talking prospects that I hate, uh, who would you maybe have taken instead of those two guys? Cause I personally really like the Greg pick. I didn't mind the Clevin pick. I wasn't thrilled that they traded up for him. Not that I don't think he's, you know, an NHL talent, but I felt like it was kind of poor asset management giving up. What, what was it? Like two picks they gave up to trade up for him. Um, I, I didn't know if that was necessary. I felt like maybe he would have fallen to them anyway, uh, but we don't know the ins and outs of the scouting world. So who are guys you maybe would have targeted in those spots instead? Uh, especially looking at that late first round pick, someone like Brendan Brisson, I was surprised was still on the board. 
Um, and it, this is one of those things where it's a guy that, you know, in my mind, I'll look back to last year when Shane Pinto was taken, I really wanted Bobby Brink. Right. And then it ends up being, you know, one or two picks directly after Ottawa, the, the kind of guy that I might've had in my mind goes. So it's going to be a really fun one, uh, maybe very anxious to track over the coming years. Um, but aside from Brisson too, someone that went, uh, the thing was right. Okay. Ottawa has 28, but they also had that early pick in the second round, uh, where they ended up going with Roby Arventi. And either at, at pick 28 at the end of the first round or pick 33 to start the second round, I was really hoping that Ottawa would double down on the Germans and pick up JJ Paterka. And um, that, that's definitely a guy that uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on because Ottawa really passed on him twice. Or even someone like Helge Granz uh, has looked great in the Swedish league. He's playing with another Sens draft pick, uh, Eric Engstrand, who is, who's picked later on in the draft, right? But he's had a, a good start to his season. So those are a few names that um, with those early picks, Ottawa passed on and, and we'll be keeping a close eye on those guys going forward. Maybe a bit of what if-ism. One of the really interesting things about Greg is Pierre Dorian publicly said that he desperately tried to trade up with that 28th pick. But even if he had been successful in that, they were taking Ridley Gregg. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of half truth there. Um, but they really zero in on the guys that they like. And it seems like they almost get tunnel vision. And we've seen it work out in their favor in the past. Uh, they were they supposedly reached on guys like Brady Kachuk and Shane Pinto and guys who were really projecting to be, at the very worst, solid NHL talent now. Do you think there's something to this scouting approach? I know we talked a, about, talked a little bit about this the last time you were on the show with the Senators having a smaller hockey ops department and because of that, uh, you see probably more shots taken on guys they really like rather than the consensus. Um, I asked you this then, but I'll ask you again now. Is the success that the Senators have in scouting, is it them, you know, zeroing in on really good players and hitting home runs, or is it them falling bass backwards into talent that helps them in the long run? I love that. Uh, I think it's definitely <laughs> something closer to number two. It's almost like you're really starting to see some patterns in the picks that they make, right? They've made, they took two guys from the Brandon Wheat Kings. They have two guys playing on the same team in Finland with Lassie Thompson and Robbie Arventi. They draft a guy from the Moncton Wild Wildcats, Phil Dow, who, uh, you know, just a couple of years late, uh, ago, Jonathan Aspero was a free agent that the Sens signed from that same team. Um, so it's, it's like, you, you, you have to, I have a hard time believing that Ottawa is really actually able to take the best player available because they are limited by their reach and coverage in scouting. So uh, I like that, that back ass words um, comparison by you, because I think that's, that's, it's hard to argue that that's not what's going on right now. Do you think that there are any players the senators took that will surprise us? That'll be like, you know, that'll the kind of guys that'll, you know, I don't want to say like Mark Stone level where they come out of the late rounds of the draft and end up being a superstar player, but guys who maybe fans aren't really thinking about in terms of how they perceive the draft that'll end up being, you know, special beloved players going forward. Yeah, we, I'm actually meant to touch on him earlier. You brought him up, but we haven't kind of zeroed back in on Igor Sokolov. Uh, very, you know, not that common for a guy 
who is in his third round of, of being draft eligible, uh, third season being draft eligible, I should say, go in the second round. But this is a player who I've had the, the fortune of actually seeing quite a few times because after Drake Batherson was picked, uh, I started, you know, following the Cape Breton. They were the Screaming Eagles at the time. And then, mm-hmm. and then along comes Kevin Mandelize. Uh, so I've actually watched him a fair bit and, you know, noticeably improved from a guy, okay, he's chipping in here and there, maybe 20-ish goals a season to being uh, pretty much the driving force behind Cape Breton's offense, not only last season, but also he really stood out to me at the World Juniors. Me too. Uh, just seemed, yeah. he, he really seemed like a guy that was um, annoying to play against, but also was able to really contribute and drive the pace of play. Um, and that's just sort of the on ice thing. And then of course, since being drafted, I think a lot more people have, have learned about his, uh, effect on the community in Cape Breton, his relationship with his billet family, um, his, you know, his, his determination to learning English friendship with Batherson, all these things. It's like a, a movie script is writing itself a little bit right now. And we've managed to talk about the draft for a little over 10 minutes. And we haven't talked about Timmy Stutzler once. Uh, you know, this is a guy who I think Graham Nichols put it best uh, when I had him on a couple of weeks ago. He's the most safely projectable high-end offensive talent the Senators have had since Jason Spezza. I don't know how much more we can say about this kid at this point. Uh, I'm really excited to watch him play in the NHL. He is a special talent um, just across the board. His skating, his stick handling, his shot, his playmaking ability – And I think the thing that stands out to me the most is this is a kid who just loves to play hockey. If you watch his highlight tape, uh, he's celebrating hard every time he sets a teammate up, every time he scores himself. He lives for this. He lives to put goals up on the board in one way or another. And he's a guy who you can tell wants to win and wants to win in Ottawa. Is very excited to be an Ottawa senator. So give me your thoughts on Tim Stutzla and, uh, and on the senators getting him so high in the draft. Yeah, great point about how it's taken us so long to kind of circle <laughs> circle in on who, you know, who is definitely the newest, the shiniest, most exciting new prospect mm-hmm. in the Sens organization, right? It was, uh, I really like that, the way that Graham put it there. And he he was just such a no-brainer pick at three after Byfield went off the board. Um, this is, you know, it, it's too bad. It's such a, I feel like, again, it's, it's such a Sens thing that he's already been... He's already, you know, suffered a, an injury, you know, yeah. a non-insignificant injury. Uh, this whole, you know, his number change from 88 to 18, whatever. We, we've seen that with mm-hmm. Spezza from 44 to 39 to 19. We saw it with Brady Kachuk going from uh, what, what I think he started with. Uh, he he might have been wearing 27 at his first, yes. at his first yeah, uh, dev camp when people bought jerseys there. It's just these these weird little wrinkles and it is a little interesting to note that he seems at least at the time of us recording this he's one of the last uh, early picks who hasn't hasn't signed yet mm-hmm. but uh, you know that's coming and you know that he is going to be an absolute fan favorite electric game changer for this franchise so i'm absolutely stoked to see him and and i think the reason we uh, we didn't really key on him key in on him early is that it's just such a it, it's such a no-brainer everybody's so hyped for him it's it's, it's going to be really a highlight of that first game uh, that we get to see him in a sense jersey for me. Definitely. And I know there are people who are worried about, you know, him and his, uh, his DEL contract and, and not getting a chance to play in Ottawa this year. Listen, folks, Mannheim is going to release him. He's going to play in Ottawa this season. There's, there's, 
don't have any doubt about this. I know people who think, oh, Brandon's really going out on a limb. No, I'm not. <laughs> He's going to play in Ottawa this season. The Ottawa Senators are going to have this kid play in Ottawa. Not once has Pierre Dorian talked about him returning to Germany. Not once has he talked about returning to Germany. He's going to play in Ottawa next season. Uh, and what's weird, I think, now is the parallels between him and Marion Hossa. Like, that was a guy who he was predicted or um, compared to a little bit during, his, during the pre-draft kind of hype. And beyond that, if you think about it, this is a guy who's had an injury going into his first year. Um, his number is now 18. He's a skilled offensive winger. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird to me, but uh, I'm very excited to watch Stutzla play. Let's dive into the kind of deeper pool of prospects because this is what your specialty is. And this is why you're such a great follow on Twitter and all these platforms is because you know the ins and outs of every player in the Senator's system. Um, uh, you know, you'll, you'll post clips of a guy on Twitter and I'll be like, who's that? Who's that again? When did they take him? <laughs> you know, where's he playing? Uh, but I think the one program that we're all very familiar with now is the University of North Dakota. We were talking a little bit about Tyler Clevin and now he's there. You got Jacob Bernard Docker there, Shane Pinto, Jake Sanderson, the pick at number five there. The Senators clearly like this program. And I didn't even mention Christian Melandon who graduated it. What are your thoughts on this approach? Do you like it? Do you like having all these kids playing together, building that chemistry and then transitioning to the pro side? Or do you feel like they should be spreading things out more? I think this is a really interesting approach. I love, uh, you know, I don't want to say I love that the Senators are doing it, but as a, as someone who I, I like, I like it when teams tend to, they, they tend to go against the grain or try something new. Uh, I just finished reading a great book about uh, this, this sort of approach in baseball called the, the only, the only rule is that it has to work where uh, an independent league baseball team kind of allowed some stat heads to totally uh, run their, their baseball operations for a summer. Um, so a bit of an aside, bit of a book recommendation there, but you, you haven't seen too many NHL teams really uh, go in this direction where it, it really seems like a concerted effort by the senators to build um, you know, their prospect pool hand in hand with uh, another, you know, unaffiliated organization. Um, that said, you know, Brad Berry and his staff down at the university of North Dakota are absolutely renowned for, um, you know, the, the type of, of really, you know, young men that they are, are developing in such an important point of their lives, sort of even aside from the on ice products, which it's uh, you know, they were, they were, a, I don't want to say a lock, but they were a front runner to win the national championship last season. So if you are, if you are putting all of your eggs into one, one basket, so to speak, um, I like that Ottawa has chosen this one because it uh, it's hard to find other programs that are sort of as revered and as well managed as, as things are down in North Dakota. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for building that chemistry and having guys grow up together. Right. Um, Look, I, I know a lot of the discourse around hockey and prospect development in particular favors advanced stats and analytics and tangible numerical values, but intangibles are still important, right? Like it is, there is still a duality when it comes to evaluating players. And I think there stands to be some really nice upside from having these guys learn about each other and grow together and then make the jump to Ottawa roughly around the same time. Like if you think about it, I don't think Sanderson plays there more than a year. 
Uh, so him and Bernard Docker will be making the jump probably after this season. You could probably say the same for Pinto. Maybe he goes back for one more year, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think having them graduate around the same time and maybe even start playing in Ottawa together is going to be huge. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, even at the, at the 2019 Sens development camp, I, I got to interview Johnny Tychonic and at the time he was still at, at the, at UND as well. Mm-hmm. And he was just, just gushing about the facilities. And it's, it's really like as close to a pro environment as you, as you can see uh, in the NCAA. And um, like you said, I, I don't think a lot of those guys will be there beyond this coming season. Uh, I'd say at least two of them are for sure going to, going to graduate JBD for sure on uh, at least graduate from uh, playing college hockey, not literally, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it it also (laughs) makes my life easier a little bit being able to watch (laughs) all these guys in the same place and um, you know, probably helps out with the, with the send scouts travel schedules as well. Definitely. It's one less streaming service you got to pay for, right? Yep. You were talking about how uh, before the COVID-19 stoppage, they were a front runner to win the whole thing. Do you see them being that same team again this year? Do you see them being better? Like based on what you know about the team and what they've added, uh, is this a team that's going to be making a run at things when the season kicks up again? It looks like it. Yeah, they they, they didn't lose too many key pieces. They have guys like Bernard Docker, who I think if things had gone differently would be turning pro, right? Uh, he kind of alluded to that in his uh, when the decision was announced after after the season ended that he was going to be staying in school one more year, I think a few other guys sort of made that same commitment to their, you know, um, to their teammates that they wanted to come back and and really see this through uh, because they all believed that they were going to win last season. So um, it's definitely going to be a really fun team to watch. And you you have some parallels with what happened with the Belleville senators too, right? That was another Mm -hmm. team that seemed maybe not necessarily the, the same, um, position that, that UND was in, but Belleville was going to, was, was poised to go on a deep AHL run as well. Yeah. Especially when you consider the guys they were going to get back from Ottawa, right. The, the, the yeah. Wyanins, the Hogbergs, like that was a team that had the makings of a, at the very least a Calder cup contender for sure. And that's a, and the, the ability to return, it, it's a privilege that not every player has. Um, you know, when I spoke to Kevin Mandeley's last summer or uh, over the summer, uh, he talked about like it hurts, you know, not being able to finish that finish your career before turning pro. Um, you know, in Cape Breton this year, they felt like they had a team that could compete and could go the could go all the way. So, not being able to go back, um, there's some bitterness there. There, it definitely feels like there's some unfinished business. So, I think that'll definitely help the college kids too. That was something Bernard Docker alluded to when he made his decision. He felt like he had unfinished business at UND, and you know, based on that roster construction, you got to believe it. Uh, and as far as the rest of the prospect pool goes, we have a lot of guys playing overseas right now. Uh, Rudy Balsers, Philip Schlopik, Philip Gustafson, Eric Branstrom, Vitalia Bramov. I'm probably missing a couple here and there. But we have so many guys playing in different leagues and in different countries. For those fans who don't know uh, the kind of nuances of these different situations, what are some of the differences? Like who's playing in the more competitive leagues? Who's playing in the softer leagues? Like, like where do you see the differences lying? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great point, Brandon. Um, I think one guy you'd want to zero in on to get things going is Vitaly Abramov. Uh, you know, he's playing in one of the top leagues of, of any player playing overseas in the uh, Finnish Liga. 
Um, and he's, you know, he's joined a very weak team. Uh, Eucharet has been a traditional bottom feeder. They were, they were towards the bottom of the table last season. I think they're last or second last in the 15 team circuit this season, but basically since he's joined the team, he has been absolutely driving the bus with all of their offense. So, um, you know, that is, that is really encouraging to see because he's a player that I think for most other NHL franchises would be a household name among fans as one of their top prospects. It's just a consequence of not only how deep Ottawa's pool is, but that meant that he was playing, uh, you know, a reduced role down in Belleville relative mm-hmm. to what he would have been seeing uh, with other teams. So I think that's, that's a great place to start there with Abramov. Um, and I'd love to, there are a couple other players that I would, I would dive into and in their leagues. I, I don't know if you want to hop in about Abramov first before I keep yeah. going though. No, I, I think the one thing I do want to ask you about him is uh there's been a lot of debate about him, about what he projects to be, especially after the year he had in Belleville. What does his play in Finland tell you about Vitaly Abramov's ceiling? Is this a guy who's going to be a top six forward? Is he going to be a bottom six guy? Is he going to be, you know, a fringe player? Like, like where do you see him panning out? And, I, and you know, you obviously can't make a definitive statement on it because he is still so young. Uh, but based on maybe some improvements you've seen in his game in Finland, like where do you see Abramov now? Yeah, he is a, a second or third line player who has a cemented spot probably on the top power play just for his absolute, uh, you know, I'd say almost unparalleled skill within the within the organization, skill and vision. Uh, Coach Mann down in Belleville highlighted a number of times last season, his defensive game still needs a lot of work. And as a smaller player who's not overly physical, um, this is a guy who, you know, you that, that makes the makes it a little more complicated to, to, to define where he kind of projects on an NHL roster. Um, but it's, it's gotta be towards the top of the lineup with that, that power play time. And in, in, in Finland right now, he is the top line uh, left winger, first line winger, first line uh, power play uh, driver, really. So I think it's an, of the nine goals they've scored since he's, he's been there. He's been in on six of them, uh, five goals and an assist, which is, which is pretty impressive to see. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, you you alluded to uh, some of the other guys that are playing overseas that have had some really nice performances. Uh, I think Philip Gustafson's numbers have have been really good as well. Uh, Eric Branstrom uh, scored a beautiful overtime goal not too long ago. Uh, talk to talk to the listeners a little bit about how those guys are performing relative to the leagues they're in. Um, you mentioned that Abramov was on a bottom feeder team in a really good league, and he's tearing it up. What about those other guys like Branstrom and Balsers and, and Philip Schlappick and Gustafson? Totally. And I think it's, it's worth mentioning too, that by being on a less competitive team, I think Abramov is being afforded even more opportunities, right? Absolutely. There's really no one, no one blocking him in the lineups there, but uh, yeah. So you have, if, if we start with some guys who are playing in, in I'd say lower tier leagues, uh, Philip Gustafson comes to mind given that he is playing in the second division in Sweden, Hockey Allsvenskan. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's not a, a league name that really rolls off the tongue, but this is, <laughs> this is a guy who, you know, was playing in the top league, the, the SHL, before coming over to North America a couple of years ago and was a dominant goalie there. So you kind of, you love to see him succeed. You love to see him getting the minutes that he has, right? He really seems to be in a, a tandem um, you know, goalie situation there. But at the same time, it's like anything less than this would be almost like uh, <laughs> cause for concern. Tra- 
Yeah, it would be yeah. tragic. So, um, you know, this is this is great to see him that he's playing, but this is the, the performance we'd really expect at this point. And I'd say the one glimmer of hope is, you know, his his time in North America hasn't gone, I think, as many fans would have hoped. Definitely a massive asterisk. He's still super young. Um, you know, the the intangibles that made him such an exciting prospect are still there, but this could be a nice confidence booster for him. And then if we're, if we're sticking in this, like, what are some of the lower leagues? I mean, Rudolf Balser is playing in the Norwegian league. That is, that is sort of a place that uh, I'd say like North American minor leaguers tend to go to ride off into the sunset. That's not a place that is, is typically seen as any sort of development league. I think a lot of the, uh, you know, Norwegian national players that, that are playing there, uh, many of them actually have other jobs beyond hockey. So, um, you know, it's been seen as, as maybe like an ECHL is the comparable. So similar to Gustafsson, great to see Balsers chipping in with three points on his team's five goals in his first game. But uh, anything less than, you know, a point a game would be concerning. Not that I think um, Balsers has much cause for concern, really, but that's not the best league to be playing. But hey, it's, it's at least a, better than I think sitting at home on his couch. Yeah, it's keeping him warm, right? Uh, one guy I really want to zero in on, uh, you know, maybe a little more than guys like Schlopik and, and, and Balsers, who we kind of know what they are at this point, is Eric Brandstrom. Uh, tell me a little bit about where he's playing, what his situation is, and, and what his performance has been, because I think he's one of the most talked about Senators prospects for good reasons and for bad. Uh, so what have you seen from Brandstrom so far? Yeah, so Brandstrom is, this is an interesting one, kind of like uh, Balser's. Uh, I've never actually tracked a player playing in the Swiss League before and Balser's side tracking a, tracking a guy in the Norwegian League. So even just trying to, on my end, trying to learn where do we watch the games, where can we find highlights, uh, where can we find more detailed stats, right? So um, Brandstrom's been brought over to play for the SCL Tigers, who were not the strongest team to start the season. Um, you know, it's early days there, but it's another case where like Abramov, he's going to be given a lot of opportunity. Uh, and you can see that pretty quickly by just glancing over his ice time in the first few games, right? They got him going with, um, something like the, uh, you know, maybe 15 minutes a game. And then by game three, he was up at 22, uh, you know, six minutes of power play time. So this is, this is a a position where Brandstrom is going to get to play a ton. He's going to get to power play a quarterback. Um, you know, be put in, in tons of situations on a team that's not, you know, last season they were second last in the entire league, right? So um, it's almost like he'll be facing more adversity than if he was, you know, in a more comfortable role with a, a team that was just kind of steamrolling everyone they played every night. Yeah, and, and I don't want to keep you too much longer here. I know, I know you've got uh, things to do, places to go, people to see. Uh, as far as Brandstrom goes, you know, does is this a guy who still projects to be a top defenseman in the NHL? Because I think that coming in was the level of hype that he carried. Uh, you know, it was a blue chip prospect. I mean, there were comparisons to Eric Carlson, which were totally unfair to, I think it was a 19 year old kid at the time. It was ridiculous. Uh, but in any case, um, based on what you've seen um, across his development curve in Ottawa in Belleville and, and now in Switzerland, uh, is this a guy you still see being that blue chip prospect or is he maybe going to be a player who kind of has to settle in in that, you know, number three, number four, or even five or six type of role? Uh, I, I'm, I'm almost laughing when, when I have this, this conversation with people, just because 
Um, I find that the discourse and the expectations around Brandstrom, Brandstrom are so, uh, you're right, they're grounded in these sort of unfair, uh, unrealistic expectations. Ridiculous. Not his fault, not his fault that he was traded for Mark Stone, not his fault that his name is Eric with a K and he's deep defenseman from Sweden, right? That, yeah. that sort of brings on these, these expectations. Like, it's worth re- reiterating that he is still so young that when the Sens acquired him, yes, he was playing in the American League and made his NHL debut at the end of the 2018-19 season, but he was actually still junior eligible, right? He yeah. still could have been playing in the Canadian Hockey League that yeah. season, right? So really last season, 2019-20, where he started off with the Senators uh, up in Ottawa for you know 30 games and then went down to Belleville and was quietly a point a game player as a defenseman, not a big deal at all. Um, <laughs> that, that That's really what was his first truly pro eligible season, right? Fully pro season. And when you look at the draft that he's coming out of, right? Uh, the 2017 draft class, I think um, there are, there are very few defensemen who have even appeared in, in more NHL games than him. It, it's less than 10. It, it's closer to five. Sure. You have guys like uh, Kel McCarr that, that came out of that same draft, but um, relatively speaking, you know, there are, I want to say nine guys who have even played more than 82 NHL games from that draft class. So really this is just, you know, uh, evidence and s- statistical support to say that he's still so young. Uh, people just need to chill out, <laughs> give him another yeah. year or two. Yeah. This is still uh, one of the best defensemen playing outside the NHL today. And, uh, I think it's great to see that he's going to be getting lots of opportunity and ice time in Switzerland during this sort of um, weird in-between uh, downtime period. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you there. Uh, and again, I just got a couple more questions for you here. Among the guys who are overseas right now, do you see any of them making a full-time jump to Ottawa for the 2021 season? I'll circle back to Rudolph Balsers as an, as an option there, because I've said this a few times. I think I've seen others say it too. Um, you know, I'm a big baseball fan too. I, I mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I like the analogy of, of Balsers being a quadruple a player right now, which is someone who is uh, dominant in the minor leagues in, in the, in, in baseball lore, but really doesn't seem to, to find an everyday spot in the MLB. And uh, looking at the NHL side of things, right? Like Balsers was toying with the American League last year. He had mm-hmm. the ridiculous point streak to get things going. He could basically score it well. It seemed like you you put him in, in the slot, you run the power play around him, and his release uh, is is just so fantastic that he's got nothing left to prove at that level. Um, but it's almost like he took a bit of a step back in his production and performance in the NHL versus what he did in his audition the year before. So this is a guy that really needs to, um, you know, take a step forward because if, if this is not the time that he's able to cement himself as an everyday NHL player, well, Ottawa's got too large of a prospect pool that, uh, you know, maybe he becomes a, a bit of a trade piece. Not that I think he, he alone would, would return all that much, but mm-hmm. this is, uh, I think of all the guys that are playing right now overseas as, as far as guys who, you know, otherwise would be playing in North America right now in, in, in normal times, Balsers is a guy that really, um, you know, I think this is sort of the pivotal year of his career coming up. Yeah, and I think that was heavily reflected in the contract extension that he got and in the language around Pierre Dorian's statement about it saying 
they're looking forward to seeing him take that step this year. You know, they're kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt about last year. Um, you know, he had the injury at the beginning of the year. Uh, so it was a tough year for him, but they do need to see him take that step forward. Sense prospects, my friend, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Before I let you go here, I want to know, are there any prospects, whether they're overseas or whether they project to be in Belleville or Ottawa or whatever this season, that you're concerned about? There seems to be a lot of people concerned about Logan Brown. Um, like there have been people unsure about Abramov, Brandstrom. Is there anyone who's kind of raising up red flags for you? Yeah, I'd say it's uh, it's even a bit of a red flag that we haven't yet really mentioned Ottawa's first round pick from the 2019 draft, Lassie Thompson. Yes, it's yeah. it's it's not you know it's same thing. It's a young player. It's so early, but it is curious to see how he's really sort of almost gone on a downward tra- trajectory since yeah. he began his pro career last season in Finland. He was a top four, even top two defensive pairing, given they, they didn't win a lot of games to start the season, changed coaches. And since then, um, he has been uh, stapled on the third defensive pairing. That's fine as a first-year pro last season. Mm-hmm. It's curious to see that it's continued this year. Uh, yes, they, you know, they are also benefiting from some guys who would be in North America normally are, are staffing the, the back end there. But he's barely averaging... Uh, 12 minutes a game right now to start the season, you know, about 10 games in um, is only as one uh, secondary assist. He's not seeing any power play time. Really. It's like, you've got this, this first round pick from last season. That's maybe playing four minutes a period when you break it down. And that's just, that's a little weird. I'm, I know it's early, but that's a guy that I'd say, Hey, what uh, it, you know, is he really in the best place to, for his development right now. Mm-hmm. I think that question needs to be asked. And I'm, I'm sure it's something that uh, the brass in Ottawa are, are definitely watching with a close eye. Yeah. Yoki Nevalainen uh, had a great point on Twitter the other day saying he's turned into a ghost. Um, and, you know, this was a player who there was some speculation about where he was going to develop, whether he was going to go back to Europe. I think the team pretty clearly wanted him back playing in the WHL playing in Canada. Um and, you know, maybe they were right. Maybe that's where he needs to be. And maybe playing in Europe um, has hurt his development more than anything. I think, like you said, the important thing to focus on is he's still a young player. He's 20 years old. He's playing in a tough league. Um, there's plenty of time for him to figure it out. But you have to wonder if maybe that's a guy who the Senators are eager to get back to Belleville and get within their own systems and kind of coach him up their way. Sense prospects, like I said, man, it is an absolute treat talking to you. Uh, I appreciate the knowledge and the passion that you bring to covering the Ottawa Senators youngsters that uh, some of us uh, may not have the time or the resources to, to do so in the way that you do. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate that uh, very much, Brandon. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to join in and chat about this. I think the time really just literally flew by for me. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again in, in a few months. We'll check in. Absolutely. Uh, tell the people where they can find you on the socials. You bet. It's at Sends Prospects on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You follow me on Reddit. Also the YouTube channel. Uh, be sure to subscribe. I'll be dropping. Uh, there are a few 2019-20 highlight packs that I'm a little late on, but we'll be getting up there in the next few weeks. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Folks, make sure you follow Sense Prospects on every platform that you can. 
It's like I said, I'm a broken record. There is no better follow for all things related to the Senator's crop of youth. Thank you for listening. As always, make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, and rate five stars. I really do appreciate it. It's what keeps me going. 40 episodes in now, and we're still going strong. So let's see how long we can ride this thing out for. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and catch episode 41, episode Craig Anderson next week. Take care, y'all.